Feeling tired at the gaming table? Want to hear foul-mouthed jackasses poke fun at gaming companies when they screw up? Want an honest, street-level opinion from a team of gamers that call it like it is? Then Blunt Force Gamers may be the podcast for you. Listener discretion advised. Good morning, Vietnam! That made me happy. Thank you for that. <laughs> I had to. Yeah. <laughs> I've been doing the same intro for a while, so I thought I'd shake it up. Since we're talking about regions this time around anyway, and we all know Vietnam is vastly different than anywhere else in the world because it's filled with hot, steamy jungles. Down, 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 down. down, down See, now I want to do down, like uh, Jeremy Clarkson and go and have someone build me a PBR. That's right. Uh, so yeah, we're doing uh, a roleplay episode, so if you're expecting video games this episode, dear listener, sorry. Sorry. We'll get We're sorry! <laughs> We're sorry! Who let the misplacer beast in here? Uh, Damn it! Yeah, the misplacer beast is back. Pop culture reference. And oh my god, no, all a... four of us are in the same room since, for the first time since Kobe. Whoa! I know, wow. right? It's insane. Yeah, like, since, yeah, holy shit. It's been months since all four of us have been in the same room. I know, I chopped off my beard, it sucks. But I had to get a gerb. You get a gerb. A gerb. No, wait. He took his gerb. Well, you got a gerb. I, I lost got... my gerb, and I'm growing out my mustache again. I took his gerb. The ends are starting to Are you going to gonna steal my thing of mustache wax again? Maybe. I'm telling you, just go and buy the orange can of pomade. All right. No, you can get a cheaper version of that at yeah. uh, um, it's, it's Sally's Beauty Salon. Um, if they're Target. open. No, they're usually open. Regions. I, yeah, we're regions. regions. Because so sometimes you're region locked. Hey, hey, this is important. This is important. Never yeah. disrespect the mustache. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have a mustache, Kaz. Dude, I, thought, I, have I, a, I thought you would know. I have a big, beautiful mustache. My mustache smokes his. My mustache, if I tore it off my face right now, would beat his mustache into the dirt. You're a man now, son. You got yourself a mustache. I, got myself a mustache. I think I have the saddest mustache of the group. Aww. Yeah, your little pencil thin. Oh, no, it's, it's not a pencil. It's uh, sparse. Because <laughs> having pencil would actually mean that I have good ability to grow a mustache and can shave it so that it's pencil thin. Mine is a verdant forest. Yours is a scrubland. I, I, like, I kind of look in the mirror, and you guys can tell me, but I think I got, if I were to shave the rest of the beard, I would kind of have a bit of a handlebar going on. See, if you, you just shave the chin, you could totally pull off a Mobius. Well, I did. Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember, a little over a year ago, I um, had the Kublai Khan beard going on. <laughs> this uh, conversation of facial hair brought to you by Blunt Force Gamers. Of course, people want gaming stuff, and according to Gaming Stuff too, and I really do have to thank uh, the guys who are giving us uh, re-echoes and giving us thumbs-ups on Parlor. I really appreciate that, and since we did the Twexit thing... Twexit? Our, yeah. Twexit. <laughs> Twitter is a fucking shit show, and it's full of twats, so we moved over to Parlor, and there's actually a good gaming community over on Parlor. A lot of guys there are very enthusiastic, and they want to you know, get together and talk about gaming and stuff, and Sweet. so, uh, hey, if they give us retweets or echo us or, you know, whatever, you know, I am all Das is good. Das is good. Sad I want to talk about gaming with fellow gamers, and the Parlor community has welcomed us pretty much with open arms. So it's a lot better to, of an environment than Twitter. So I'm sure give, yeah, I'm giving a shout out to uh, the people over there who uh, give us a listen or at least a like or whatever. Let's give them a round of applause. A round of applause. 
Oh, I hated yeah. that shit in school, but now it's so cringe you have to do it. <laughs> Can we bring Davin back? Uh, no. S- no. Oh. Die in a fire. Um, <laughs> there will be pain. <laughs> All right. There will so, be pain. Kaz brought up a really good topic for today, and why don't you go ahead and lay it on the listeners? All right. So, listeners, lay. we are discussing how do you make regions in your game world feel unique, feel diverse from each other. All right, mind and if I, I take tap the, the mic? Like and we have a mic bump less than five minutes in. <laughs> All right, just like for that, I'm going to take the reins on the first go. So, because two, well, all three of you have had at least a taste of the campaign, I have run my living world, and you're going to be going through it here recently, so you can attest to my latest attempts at showing the differences in regions. Um, but one of the biggest things is just describing of the weather and what kind of people you come up against. Now, mostly they've been in forested areas, but they've also been in super high mountains. They were in this uh, kind of like Garden of Eden uh, in the... Well, really, it's the bowl of a volcano. But either way... Um, <laughs> they call that a caldera. Ding! Science! Well, no, I, I, thought you know. the, I thought the caldera was the lava chamber that fills up over time. This is a... No, uh, uh, This is like the actual collapsed dome Yeah, this, that, that is a, a caldera, is when you get a rise in the magma down below... And it bubbles up, and eventually it collapses and falls in on itself, creating kind of like a crater shape. That is a caldera. You know, I know it's fucked up, but I really kind of hope I'm alive to see Mount Rainier blow. Just while we're on the topic. I think you just want to be blown. Just saying. Well, that too. (laughs) But I also want to see uh, fucking Tacoma and Seattle just get wiped off the map. Yeah, but see, I just hope there's enough warning so I can get out. Yeah, we are. There is never enough warning. Yeah, and that's the problem. It's, there's exactly no warning. And the problem is, is if there is a warning, all the rats will scurry out. Yeah, oh, speaking of, I saw one. That's another way to distinguish your regions. Rats. Do they exist in that area or not? They're not always everywhere, but they can be. Are they Rattus Rattus or Rattus Norveges? Exactly. Big difference. Do they wear turbans or do they wear hats? God you know? damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Rat folk Fuck. have a very rich culture, and they adapt themselves. Do not besmirch the rat folk. <laughs> a rat would sell his family out for a small pouch of silvers in but an instant. <laughs> no, it wouldn't. Small rat men rubbing hands together. All <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. No, um, but yeah, I mean, that's another way to say what creatures can travel there. Like, I'm not going to send a fucking forest elf out in the middle of the frozen fucking tundra because they're useless there. I'd send a bunch of fucking orcs. Just saying. Or I would send tundra elves. Because tundra, or elves come in every flavor based on land. Yeah, based on the land they steal. Yeah. I mean, You've got on. lake elves, you got mountain elves, you got forest elves, you got high elves, which are basically people elves, I guess. Yeah. And you got desert elves, and you got Dunmer, Bosmer, Altmer. We don't talk about the Falmer. We don't talk about the Falmer. Though I do find it really funny that they're the only two sentient Falmer left. One of you wants... They both want you to kill the other. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of cute to me. Also, no digs on our Jewish listeners. We're just joking. I'm a fat Mexican. You can make fun of me for that. Boom! What the fuck? Where'd that come from? Because we were making allusions to Jewish jokes. No, we weren't. Yeah, we were. No. With rats. What? I you? W- uh, wait, were you? You racist fuck. <laughs> yeah, I was. You sick fuck. Yeah, I was. I was making Jewish jokes. Come at me. 
Oh, boy. That Either way. Okay. Uh, Shalom, motherfucker. We'll talk about this later. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, going back to the way to do regions, it's describing the the surroundings is obviously the first place to start. Okay. You know, oh, you see giant piles of sand. Oh, you see tons and tons of trees. Those are two very distinct things. Unless you're <laughs> on a beach. Just saying. Then you're like, there's shit tons of water and it tastes bad. <laughs> you know, I've got a question for you guys. Um, you know, I haven't been in many campaigns, but what is the most the most common setting people that you see kind of go with? Is it like kind of just a, like a temperate zone? Um, you know, kind of like an English countryside sort of deal? Or, do, or is it more like foresty mainland regions? Mainland Europe is the vast majority of what I've had in campaigns. Okay. With homebrew and written, I believe, one of the most diverse... Uh, I've only really experienced a small handful, but a kingmaker was all just like fucking it was like central france okay so a lot of farmlands and a lot of far it's usually it's uh typically uh from the campaigns that i've been in it's mostly upper temperate where you got the harsh winters and barely warm summers okay that's about what i would imagine i mean that's i mean it's most familiar to most gamers probably so yeah, familiarity is a, a big part of region and typically when a gm develops their game especially a younger gm they will base the game off of the surroundings that they have, which is a really good starting point. Yeah. So if I were to play a game in, say, Odessa, yeah. I am pretty much guaranteed that I'll be playing a game that's basically upper tropical with some desert mixed in. The land and surroundings will be very much environmentally the same as they are in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm playing in, say, Vermont, I would expect that you know the leaves are going to turn every fall similar to the, uh, the way they do in Vermont, because that's familiar to the GM and the other players. And it helps bring people into the game more so. Like, if I was playing a game in Alaska... Yeah. And do you think the GM is going to be like, okay, we're going to have a game that's set entirely in the desert, and it's going to be a great game? Because mm-hmm. there's things about the desert that somebody who's a native to Alaska probably won't know. Yeah. And if I'm a guy who moved in from, like... I don't know, Arizona, I'd be like, well, actually. Well, actually. Well, actually. You'll get that one guy who's the, well, I used to travel across the world. Well, actually. Yeah. So usually. Or the person who always has to be right and has a fucking uh, Wikipedia degree. A Wikipedia degree. I know who you're talking about. We are going away from that topic. But there is a familiarity, especially with earlier GMs. And even myself, I still do this. Yeah. Uh, When you guys started playing in my last D&D campaign... Uh, one of the three nation states that were warring against each other, uh, one of them was actually basically like northern, I want to say Italy, kind of a little bit of Spain. That was kind of like the way the region worked. It had hot summers, but it had cool winters. A lot the same geographically happens here where we're located. Yeah. So it wasn't that far of a stretch. Man, isn't ocean currents just a thing? You know, because like on the world where I think we're like, Longitude-wise, I think we're the same as... Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, you're we're, leaning way back, dude. We're about the same as, like, Spain. But I don't know if you've noticed here in Washington, but it's not very Spain-like. No, I think it's an interesting... <laughs> and we're more like Scotland. Thing, because you think about um, the South Pole, Antarctica. If it wasn't for that uh, waterway just completely spinning around it, removing any hot water from moving in, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be an ice sheet. Because up until South America and Australia broke off from it, that waterway didn't exist. And it was rather verdant. It was colder, and it kept getting colder, but it wasn't a giant ice sheet. That didn't start until a couple million years ago after the, uh, 
what the fuck are they? The marsupials moved from South America across there to Australia, and now they only live in Australia. Because the marsupials, you know, they were being digged on. It was racial prejudice. They decided <laughs> to move out because the panthers and jaguars and stuff, they didn't like them, and the monkeys were, like, totally on board with that. I hate monkeys. Yeah, the monkeys so, were colonizers. Yeah, the monkeys you know, were totally colonizers. They came over from Africa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's actually another thing <laughs> right there is to get into setting up your regions is, of course, the local populace that lives there. And, of course, humans, you know, they do them as the cookie-cutter group. You know, everybody who's human basically looks the same. But one of the ways I differentiate my regions uh, in a D&D game or in a post-apocalyptic game or whatever is the humans will have different dress codes, essentially. Same way we do in real life. Yeah. Uh, like, again, heralding back on the previous D&D campaign I did, one group, they uh, designated their military rank by sashes. They would wear a sash and it would have all the stuff on it. Very Girl Scouts-y, I guess. I don't know. But it was a quick and easy way to go, well, the combination of their tabard plus their sash designates whether they're infantry or whether they're uh, engineering department. It shows what their rank is. It's easy for everybody in that military to designate and see what everyone else is. And the player characters will eventually learn to pick up on it. But if you move into uh, one of the southern regions, they didn't have all that. Basically, yeah. the fancier armor, you know, it was a bunch of little, like, little glyphs and shit in the armor. But the only way to tell if somebody had rank is if they had better armor than the guy standing next to them. Yeah. So it differentiated two regions on a military scale. One was highly militarized and had a ranked codex of how to spot somebody else. You knew exactly who the commander was on the field. All you had to do was look for the color of his tabard and sash. Whereas you go to another region and they're just more like mercenaries. They wear whatever they got, and if they're a really good mercenary, they can afford more. Yeah. You know, so it was one way I differentiated the regions on a military scale, which just a little bit of difference in that, not just geographically, but among the populace, there was an obvious difference in the regions. Okay, cool. Yeah, and, you know, not just military culture, but also, um, like, their, their structures, right? The structures in, I think you said it was a ram, were stone, they were sort of carven, almost box-like. Yeah, it was all, it, a lot of the um, architecture in a ram was very box-like, lots of 90-degree angles, circles, squares, triangles. You know, basic geometric shapes. The basic geometric shapes, and most of their um, hardened buildings, you know, that the capital buildings, the religious centers and whatnot, were either granite, marble, or a combination of the two. Okay. Which, it, it's the resources you had available, so that's what they made with. Yeah. Versus, like, Mujitaba, which was inspired by um, Asian... Mujitaba was uh, kind of a collage of Asian stuff, but they had uh, very rich soil with clay, so they would bake bricks. Okay. So when you went to Mujitaba, they basically had wooden structures that were reinforced with brick. I see. That's cool. So it was another way I differentiated those two regions. Yeah, it, architecture and culture and stuff come into a lot, but sometimes you got to start with uh, the obvious, which is just grab a map. There's wonderful resources. I have one brought up here for everyone to see. Ah, yes. From the... Don John, not sponsored. I don't even think they could pay people. Um, <laughs> so I just went into their uh, fantasy world generator. And I typed in some random numbers, put some random proportions, and we got this. Now, they do seem to have a, pref a preference for supercontinents. But put in There's 10 settings for that. Ice, uh, there are settings for that. But just going off a general you know, quick build. How would we say we've got this? So it looks 
like there's a bit of uh, high spots here. I mean, those would probably be mountains. Yeah, high central mountains away from the, uh, basically, the rest of the world ocean. So it looks like the way that this world formed was all the tectonic plates sort of smashed together into one uh, panspermia or pan pangea sort of shtick. Supercontinent. Super yeah. yeah. Yeah, panspermia is a way different thing. Dude. Yeah, I, I keep forgetting about it because, you know. Which is relevant to a space game, which also goes into differentiating regions. But, yes. Yeah. You guys said it's the whole world. Well, but, um, we'll get but to that theory later. You can take some of these world generators and they'll give you general ideas if you're doing a homebrew of, all right, well, this area is kind of mountainous. Uh, and this is just, you know, the geographical difference. That's like, if you were out here on one of these islands, you would have a completely different grasp of the world than if you were right in the middle of this fucking desert-looking region. You know, I, I've got to admit, though, that while this map is very interesting, I bet nobody listening right now will know what the fuck are you talking about. Well, it, if I say out here on these islands, they get that islands are, you know, out there. But if I say in the middle of this giant deserty area, you can get giant desert-looking area. And I'm not specifically using the map for that, but I'm giving a... A general thing of, if I'm in this area, I have a certain view of the world. So you move into how people observe the world. If you're uh, doing a campaign and you're in uh, one of those desert-like environments, water is a super precious resource. People trade in water in some places. Um, meanwhile, if you're on an island, water is pretty fucking plentiful, but not always drinkable. So versus again, like stone would be a different would be a commodity that's more rare on an yes, island. Yes, have, having a certain amount of you know refinable materials or other such things like if you're out in the desert i'm sure you're like yeah we got rocks galore why do you want these shiny rocks sure i'll give you a bunch of shiny rocks for a bunch of water um but if you're out on this island you might be like dude i've got lots and lots of fucking water and i don't care so i mean you can take that into the aspect so if you're up in the fucking mountains i'm sure they're not exactly oh well i'm tim the farmer and i work on 80 acres yeah where <laughs> you know they could be like oh well you know we we survive on beets and we grow them on the side of mountain, you know shit like that. You can go into the cultural differences there and what is valuable to the people or creatures there. Yes, yeah. and this goes with you know like the climate is going to dictate what sort of things are common for where. Like everyday wear is going to be different in the desert versus the jungle, for instance. Well, well hot environment. Yeah, right. But in the jungle, you have more overhead cover, so you don't got to worry about being sunburnt like a motherfucker. But you Meanwhile, do have to worry about the humidity getting you more than exactly. in the desert. Especially if you're in me. the desert, you want to be covered head to toe, so you're not getting that sunburnt shit. Because you look at those desert tribes in the real world, you know, even Native Americans, they were pretty well fully covered all the time. But then you get up into the forestry areas, and they're like, oh, whatever, I'm good. And you get down into, like, the Aztecs, and all their depictions are, you know, most of the time shirtless buff shirtless dudes wading through blood sacrificing for the great what's a cuddle <laughs> yeah case in point hey case in point but I really like that. I, I want to see a boxing match between him and Zyptotech <laughs> <laughs> I really like that idea of um, this uh, random world generator um, I, I was, I've actually been looking for something you know hey the microphone's right in front of you Sorry, I, I, keep, I keep trying to want to look at the screen too. Yeah, I know. But I really like the I'll work idea. On this. I really like the idea of the random world generator because I, I feel like that gives you kind of like what you were saying, like a um, uh, a template to kind of uh, yeah, a kickoff point. Yeah, a kickoff point exactly. And especially if someone's maybe not the greatest at uh, map making. 
like, not just map making per se, but more, I guess, conceptualizing. You know, I mean, because not everyone can go out and. I mean, I, I suppose you could. I mean, it's not that hard to draw some shapes and say eh, it's a continent. But you know what I mean. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. You know, so something like that could be really handy for those people who are a little more uh, need, need a little more visual aid for them. Uh, and there's also the uh, the dice scatter method for making maps. Which, if you don't know, you take your D and D dice bag because everyone has a dice goblin bag. You know, and you dump it out onto a giant piece of paper, and the various uh, sizes dictate um, different types of biome. Uh, the various, you know, numbers on them, get, like a D20 will land on, will be a city. Oh, that's... And the size yeah, of it yeah. will be based on the, the value of the dice. There's lots of different ways for map making. And this, this concept of what resources are nearby is actually something that you can do with towns, too. So as, this goes as big as a planet or as far down as one town. Hmm. And even then, there's tons and tons of tutorials on YouTube and other such places where it's like, you want to draw, say, random town number 42, but you want to base a lot of the game there. This is how things go, and they explain it, and they're like, all right, literally, you just need paper and some sort of writing implement, and then you go and you go, all right, this is the main road through town. Well, this is another road that leads to, uh, say, there's a river here, and then you just start connecting things naturally. People want to try and do shortcuts they don't have to travel a whole distance around and then it begins building and building until finally you're like all right and that's like the millionth line we've put on here and all we've done is make lines and there's your city map do you guys ever find yourself uh just making maps up for fun for you know making maps and worlds for campaigns you'll never do no 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 uh map making when i'm doing my maps i did one a while back Went out, I got myself a big poster sheet of paper, started screwing around on it. Normally what I do when I make a map is I'll do a, a blob works. Okay. I'll draw a series of, you know, different size circles on it. Just all at random, basically. I'll just be like, oh, this looks like a good spot for a circle. This looks like one. And then I'll go back over it and I'll start drawing in the rough lines of how these circles would start to connect. And then I go in and black it in and I erase the uh, pencil marks and bam, I basically got my world at that point. Oh, that's an interesting way of doing it. And that way I'll get like different continents, different islands and stuff. And, you know, maybe an archipelago. Archipelago. Whatever the fuck. You know, that thing. An isthmus. Ithmith. See, that's... I have trouble with words. But when I draw maps, it is a very involved process that even just getting the continents listed on the map is three steps at minimum. Yeah. And then I have to draw uh, horizontal lines across it and differentiate where the tropics are, where the temperate zone is, where the arctic zone is. So that gives me a better idea as to, you know, what zones that people will be living in. Well, obviously, they're going to scrunch more towards the middle than the outside edges. Yeah. So the middle area is going to be more populous. And from there, I can start, you know... Basically, just draw a few little squiggly lines on there, and then bam, I got mountain ranges. Then I have to draw in my mountains. Then from there, I go, okay, well now I know where my rivers are going to be and where my lakes are going to be. Where my step nomads. Where my step nomads are going to be. Hail to my step nomads. Hell yeah, step nomads. <clears throat> Fuck yeah. All right, so here's something. So, no, fun. I do not make maps for fun because for me to make a map that's playable for a DD oh, game, me. Yes. I don't like to half ass it, so it takes me about a month. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, doing like a quick and simple one, sure, easy breezy. Anybody can draw like a, a pirate map, basically. You know, just yeah. a few lines and, you know, there's a mountain here and shit. But me, I'm a detailist. I like uh, putting as much details into something as I can. So map making for me, not my strong suit because I take far too long at it. 
Okay. And, you know, it's one of the things we appreciate about you. When you do put stuff in, you don't do the half-assed thing. It's great. Yeah, like, I'm still trying to get through all the notes and shit you gave me from the Living World campaign. See? And trying to translate them into how it works in my world. And God fucking damn it, dude. Like, I had to take... I think I'm on, like, week three of taking a break from it again because I had to go and redesign a dungeon to incorporate some things. If I had written out, like, the entire rule set of what the previous GMs had done up until the point of my GMing, you would have a novella easily. Maybe Uh a couple of them. Okay. Just saying. Here's here's another fun thing to do. Say you take one... I took one of these randomly generated maps. I tooled around with it for days. And I ended up getting something I liked. Which is, it's kind of got a giant supercontinent, arguably middle of the map, and then it's got a bunch of large island groups... And that's got a bunch of just island chains across one side. So I took that, and I've had this for a couple of years now. Uh, and I've utilized it in different ways. Drawn on it many, many times. Redone the map. Now, I've gotten my significant other to draw out this lovely, lovely map. She went through, followed all the lines, and then dropped all the uh, original color to make it so that now we can start manipulating the map and we have symbols for everything like we're going pretty deep into this design deep and going with the color scheme of this is an old world map after many years it's faded color but like this it. is the most accurate map of this world you will ever see now you gotta print it out then coffee stain that paper and it's actually ancient Oh, it no. works, it's great, and it's a huge visual I aid. hate the coffee staining thing I'm just gonna print it out on just burn the paper. edges <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a simple but a hard way to do it. But no, like, uh, we're going through, and you can take these maps and do anything you want with them. You don't have to go as deep and detailed as we are, where someone's literally redrawing over the map. Yeah. But you can just take it and print it out in grayscale. You know what I've kind of been doing just while we've had this map up here? Is, and I will speak into the mic. Good. Is, um, <laughs> I've been kind of looking at, like, um, like this one. I'm just going to take a look real quick. Real quick. He looks. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking at like kind of the coastlines and maybe where some of the bays and um, gulfs are kind of in this map. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, that maybe could be like a... Uh, you could put a big city on that coastline, you know, like a center of... Uh, commerce. Yeah, yep. center of commerce. So I'm like looking at these maps and thinking, okay, where do I want my empires and my capitals to be, you know? That's kind of... Well, here's a fun thing. So I zoomed yeah. in and you see this big inland sea? Uh-huh. That is the inland sea that is the center of the world for you guys in my campaign. Okay. Now, the border cuts off sort of in this direction, from one great inland sea to another. So he's kind of did a, a diagonal curve, cut. But it a doesn't matter, because you're not going to be able to see it. It's a thing of the big borders, you want to be attached to a sea, because you can draw a lot of resources out of it. Yeah. And they're natural borders, so the border cuts from one to the other to divide nations. And then there's other cuts when it's rivers cutting through. So, the way you describe a region can really also define where its edges are. You know, oh, well, no one lives in this great desert area. Well, one, in-game because it's cursed, but two, because (laughs) it's super hard to live there, and there's no one who's lived there for a long, long time in this desert region because the desert's only a 1,000 years old. So, it's not like having a desert that's, you know, 26 million years old, and people have just learned to get by there. People don't live in this region for a reason. 
You know, actually, that's a, a really good point you just brought up, though, on the side, is natural borders between regions. Yeah. So yeah. when you're doing your region construction, uh, of course, if we're this is a game, so we're going to have intelligent characters running around, or at least intelligent murder hobos. Yeah. Uh, so Asterisk. Asterisk. <laughs> citation needed. Uh, but the, your still, ass at risk. Uh, natural borders are going to be there. So if you're going from, say, a grassland or plains environment, and you get to a river, uh -huh. that river is obviously going to be a natural border. And on the other side of the river, and I've seen this in real life, and it does happen, is there could be a rapid change from one kind of environment like to another. So you've gone from just that hill, and that hill is actually brushed up against the side of a range where it starts leading gradually upwards. And boom, suddenly you're in a land full of hills and trees. Yeah. You know, yeah. So you there's that natural border. So maybe the tree people don't like the plains people, but they both have decided that river that runs between the hills, <laughs> a river runs through it. Yes. <laughs> no, I was thinking <laughs> the tree people don't like the plains people. Mongolia tried to take Vietnam. It didn't work out well for them. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying. I'm hey, just they saying. couldn't take Japan either. No, they couldn't. No. <laughs> what, what I'm what I'm just saying though is maybe the hill people and the plains people don't get along, but they both can agree that that river is the cutoff point as to where their yeah. lands end and the lands of the other tribe begins. Uh huh. So and, you have that regional divide, or even just something as gradual as say where the desert, like uh, when you're in Oregon, of course you got the high desert on one side, but if you go more north. Yeah. Eventually, that high desert will actually have a break-off point where it becomes very mountainous. But the mountains there are very different than they are in some other locations. Yeah. Uh, especially when you get up north towards the Yakima Valley, the mountains are gentle and sloping. You can tell it's obviously been a, a previous plain for a lot of um, glacial activity. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Uh, some of the, some of the hills have been worn down and they're rounded and domed and they're, they're very gently sloping. A yeah. very different uh, aspect of that. But, of course, that's about a couple hundred miles in total that you're looking at for land that mass. that could be a whole campaign area. Well, that could be yeah, a whole campaign real. area. That's actually a really good example, if you don't mind me saying. It's like, I mean, I th think if you want to get an idea of uh, just natu uh, natural borders and... Um, uh, region differences. I think the Pacific Northwest here where we live is actually a fantastic idea for that. Because I was going to bring that up. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Washington State is one of the most biodiverse regions in North America. Um, it sounds like it could be, but I don't know if it is. It's strangely, yeah. especially like when you go, uh, when you decide to go from the west side of the state to the east side. Yeah. And like where we are right now, we're right next to the ocean. Yeah. And, and it's weird because it's like dry and well, hot it's here an during the summer. Inland summers. cut off of the ocean, not just straight up ocean, because that would be out in like yeah, yeah. San Juan. Well, we're next to the the fucking the inland Puget, Puget Sound. Puget Sound. But the thing is, like, you start going towards the pass and, say, an hour's drive away, so about 60 miles. Yeah. Within about 60 miles, then you get to the base of the mountains and you start going up the pass and it suddenly becomes, like, the temperate version of a rainforest. Well, we do have temperate rainforests, but I think those are more but on... But, like, uh, every time we hit that region, like, going up yeah, the pass, yeah. before we get to the, the, the peak of it, it's always wet, rainy, drizzly, foggy. It's always wet something. It's, it's, um... It's an effect, I think, the... Moist. Mm, moist. <laughs> yes. In I... Comic Sans at a jaunty angle on Goldenrod. Uh, can, oh, can, can we all say moist on the count of three? One, two, three. Moist. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, it even looks moist in the sound wave. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. But, you that know, is here's juicy. another thing. Uh, if can... you want to talk about natural borders. Yeah. Well, I've got an okay. example here. Sorry. 
Um, oh, he's going back to the map, so sorry, dear viewers. Uh, just imagine stuff. So there's this big landmass and uh, the actual continent, and there's a spot where it just kind of ekes out and touches the island. There could be, like, a strait right there. Like, you have the Straits of Gibraltar, where Africa and Europe are separated by, what, less than a mile? Uh, or fjords. I don't know about that. Fjords. Fjords, yeah. Fjords. But, Fjords. but you think about that, there, it's a close spot, but there could easily be divided, and there couldn't be, because I plan on making this region where it's like cliffs. So it's like the fucking cliffs of Dover, a natural defense against marauding fucking continentals. Yeah. Um, Makes sense. But borders like that make things even more, you know, stark. Because at the top of those cliffs, it could be green, verdant fucking fields of sheep. Just like England. Actually, um... Bringing that up, there, there's another regional thing I'd like to bring up, and it's really strange, because uh, on the west side of South America, mm-hmm. one of the driest places in the world looks just like what he's talking about on the map there, where he's talking about how it's really high cliffs and it's sheer, oh, yeah. and the top can be green. Well, what's interesting about this place is it's very similar to that, and this is actually another regional deal, is... If you're sailing past it, it's a very rapid slope, almost sheer, up the side of this landmass uh, on the west side. I can't exact. It's right on the boob of South America. On hold the west on, side. hold on, hold on, hold your chonies. Ah, okay, I'll hold my chonies. The strange thing though is, uh, if we're talking about region, uh, if you go up this cliff face or you come in from the north or south, which is the two easiest points to access from. Yeah. Yeah, you yeet this shit from the north or south, and you wind up in this, like, fucking packed desert. Yeah. It is just hardcore desert. Not like not, not even really any sand. And Just you go, dry and miserable. <laughs> yeah, and you go uh, inward, inland, if you make it across the mountains, which is the most treacherous. So, yeah, he's pulled it up right there. It's over by, uh, between Chile and Peru. Well, uh, that's, I think that it's Chile just... and Peru, because uh, they beat Bolivia yeah. out like they deserve. Yeah. Um, anyways, but you look at this. Oh, and what do you have against Bolivians? Um, let's just. Uh, I'll, I'll come back to that. I'll circle back to that. Okay. But looking at this map, you, you can see. So you're talking about. So you've got like the Amazon basin, this giant yeah. fucking. And green there's that mountain there, that mountain range right along where the green the separates the brown. And that mountain range is really treacherous to cross. But if you do, it almost becomes immediate. Like the. the you Divide. turn the corner. <clears throat> yeah, you turn the corner and bam, you go from dry desert to green, lush jungle. Yeah. It, it's like in those old adventure movies where they're in like this hellish area and all of a sudden you walk through this little like corridor in the rock almost and then all of a sudden, bam, the fucking Great Valley stretches out before you. Yeah. It's not wrong and this yeah. is actually caused Look. by, I think, it's one of the properties that mountain ranges have, especially when yeah. they're near water, is um, they have... A rain shadow is what it is. Yeah, well, one of which the... is like if you look at the the Washington State, you know, Goblin was talking about going up to the the passes, how it goes like sort of dry heat up to a very you know humid heat, humid, to just wet as fuck. To wet as fuck, then you're in the mountains, moist, moist, and then just after the mountains, you're hitting Ellensburg. Uh, yes, but you're also like you're starting to hit scrublands. Like, immediately. Well, the fascinating thing about this desert that I wanted to point out, though, between Peru and Chile, or basically both of those together, is the fact that the way the slope of the uh, landmass works along the edge where it goes from ocean to landmass is the land rises so fast that the moisture can't get up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
that continent that continental shelf piece right there is basically its own block from moisture. That's and look, why it's got dry. giant uh, fucking snow caps because they're so high up. Yeah. So high up. I just want to go to that one uh, village in, I think it's in Chile, where uh, it's like a ceremony they have every year where they just go out in the streets and just beat the shit out of each other for like a solid day. Actually, one to of the... To get the bad juju out, and then they like have a big old fiesta afterwards. Talking about regions, actually, and Chile, because uh, you guys know my brother. Yeah. Uh, Which one? Jordy. Oh, yeah. Jordy, uh, Jordy's dad is Chilean. Uh-huh. Uh, Jordy was born here in the States, so he's naturalized American, but his family all lives back in Chile. And the fun part about it is, and we're talking about, you know, differences in region, Chileans have an ability to swear on such a level <laughs> that it is, it's like Mad Libs gone <laughs> drunk and just having a dumpster baby behind a bar. They know how to swear in such creative manners. <laughs> it is like a fine art there. So, And that's another wonderful way to distinguish the people is you can work into the culture of the peoples there. Say, like, this is a super, like, goblin and orc-heavy area, right? Like, there's fucking rusted metal all over the place, fucking... Their weapons look like they're fucking terrifying because there's spikes and sharp bits everywhere and you look like you'll get tetanus just from looking at it. Nah. <laughs> and they might have tons of ways to swear in, like, say, the Orcish to English Dictionary. Orcish to English Dictionary. Yeah. Now, you could take words from there or they have just sayings in Orcish. There's tons of random word generators and there's actual Orcish dictionaries and stuff. And then you've got the spot where it's nothing but fucking dwarves. Every other curse word might be calling someone a goddamn knife ear, right? Yeah. Maybe. Um, Yours are very uncreative and yet exceptionally creative, depending on what route you go through. Right. What was it? it Watch your aim, Whale Piper. Whale Piper. (laughs) That was one. There's a lot of them. Deep Rock has a lot of cute little swears when you shoot each other. Uh, And there's just tons of different ways you can do it. You know, the elves, they might begin speaking in elvish whenever someone who they don't think speaks that language is around just because they don't want you to hear what they're saying. It could be the most innocuous thing. They just don't want you to hear it out of, you know, being a fuck. Yeah, and basing, yeah. Uh, like, like he's talking about the elves, though, you know, uh, some of the elves might start speaking in elvish around non-elves and stuff. And that's something we do as humans. Yeah. Uh, you walk, like, I'll go into the local corner market to pick up a pack of smokes. And, like, the only word I can make out, of course, is gringo. But I know after that word comes up, I know they're swearing about me. Like, yeah. Goddamn gringo's <laughs> coming into our store. This is something that happens in real life. So don't be afraid that when you're making your regions of your world to base it off of real life stuff like that. So if a elf walks into a dwarven bar or a gnome walks into a dwarven bar, the dwarves might start talking shit about him in dwarvish. Yeah. You know, and that's one of the way regions help create that uh, feel. Uh, The immersion? The immersion, as you can get into it, because it's something relatable. We all encounter it in real life. And holy shit, he's scrolling across a map of the the world right now. And do you notice one thing on this map? Mm. Okay, so anybody at home can do this, thanks to Google Earth. As they can zoom all the way out. And look at Australia. There's a bright red dot in the middle of it. That is a land of death. (laughs) That is a land that hates people. It actually has Mordor listed on it. Like, I, I, I don't know where... Near Sandro Pedro or something? Alice Springs? Oh, Alice Springs is, uh, yeah, it's a city just in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, Australia. Yeah, Alice Springs looks like it's in the middle of hell. 
It is. Like, literally, the, la- <laughs> the, the land mass of Google Earth shows that that area is all red. Now, now, we're in the topic of regions, so if you want to create a hellscape Earth, I believe this is the focal point of the eye of the storm. It's in the middle of Australia. Dead center of it, too. You know what's what I love about Australia on that? There's actually a highway where, like, it's something like maybe 25 miles before it, it has signs saying, uh, before you get to this point, make sure you have a full tank of gas, like a satellite phone, and water. Because hey, you, table thumper. Because if you get stranded out here, um, there is no settlement for like 300 miles or some shit like that. Well, I mean, that happens when you're going through California and you're on the 101 and they're like, yeah, the next 150 miles, there is nothing. Make sure you have a full tank of gas. Don't use your AC if you can help it. They've got the same thing going through Death Valley, going through parts of Arizona and Utah where they're like, yeah, there is nothing for the next 100, 200 miles. So if you don't have a full tank, turn back now. Yeah, yeah. I just always find it funny when there's shit like that. <laughs> Uh-oh. Now, this is our boys be good stick. <laughs> the boys be good well, stick. Well, you might have to hit the table thumper with that. <laughs> touch it. Yeah, yeah just touch it. <laughs> and there he goes. <laughs> Ow. He has been appropriately punished. Oh, it's a burning smell. I've been there. What was it you were saying? Your finger was haunted there, Gob? My finger's haunted. <laughs> yeah, it was like right in the knuckle, too, man. It's like it lingered there. That's but, tingly. Uh, tingly. <laughs> so this anyways. Is the fir- I'm sorry, listeners, but this is the first time the four of us have been in a room together, so some shenanigans are going to happen. And now, you, now know, you want to talk about regions. I, I'm sure this... Uh... Go ahead. So, you know... We brought up the subject of the fact that Google Earth has Australia in, like, you know, bloodstained red. Dried bloodstained red, right? A huge hellhole of it. Yeah, that is an interesting formation. Eye of Africa. Huh. Neat. Is that legitimately what it's called, or did you just come up with that? that that's what it's called. Oh. Neat. Yeah. Anyways, um, but there are, you know, there are very different types of rock. Like... Uh, there's granite up in the hills of Washington that's, you know, white. Granite Falls. Exactly. Stuff like that. <laughs> but if you go, say, different regions in the state, the granite would be a very different color. Up to pink, right? So you can, you know, you can play with that as part of your regions if you're, you know, geology-based and minded. Or just want to be like, uh, the stone here is more pink. You can do that. Yeah, and especially if you want to play with dwarves, since many systems have dwarves of, uh, what is it, rock sense or fucking any of that, where it's like, yeah. Stone cunning. Stone cunning, there you go. Where it's like, yeah, there's rocks here. I can tell you a lot about these rocks. You're basically a natural-born geologist. Ooh, I had an idea. Well, it's because you live, well, actually, the, um, and that's another way of separating your intelligent races or race or whatever the fuck you're doing in your world is regionally different peoples will have a different way of figuring stuff out. And they do this with dwarves. They have stone cunning because they live in that area. They deal with it every fucking day. They're born and bred on it. You could have basically, um, for lack of better better words here, um, wood cunning. Wood cunning. Wood cunning. But if you're doing a, a, a bunch of people who live in a forested environment, if you're doing basically a D&D classical game, they can tell you all about the trees in their local society, which trees are healthy, 
which ones need to be burned down or chopped away, which ones will make the best timber or lumber. Right, and you know, you'll see it in their decor, right? Like uh, a village that has this sort of natural forest around them that they are using for all of their resources, you're going to find a lot of hand carved knickknacks, you know, from anything from, you know, the toys that they make for the kids, you know, a little horse toy or something, right? Up to how they make their houses and everything. And then that goes also to like where I'm from, we're high desert. New Mexico is just high fucking desert. And the homes are, there's high clay content. So the homes are adobe. They're just clay and whatever green scraps you can scrape together. Mostly hay if you could afford it sometimes. You know, you'd be out there just grass clippings, fucking buffalo grass. And you would make your homes that way. And there would just be these big timbers you would put across the roof because you couldn't build any other way to keep the rain out. Because the adobe, you can't lay it out like concrete. You can build up and your walls have to be really thick, but it also plays into how they view things because those thick walls keep it cool inside. So they build their adobe ovens outside for cooking because they also smoke a lot. You know, those big adobe uh, pueblos, just house on top of house on top of house on top of house. And then you see like right in the middle of town, there's like a well or a fucking um, bunch of ovens. Fucking ovens. That's oh, yeah. how you get more ovens. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, just like you're saying, they carve toys a certain way. They do certain things. The way they build their homes, you know. Maybe if you're in a place where it's nice weather all year, like, say, down here in uh, the Gulf of Mexico, you know, you've got all these places, Puerto Rico, Dominican Republic, Haiti, Jamaica, Cuba to some extent, um, where their their homes, you know, they have to deal with hurricanes, but they're not exactly insulated. Because they don't need that. But you, meanwhile, come to, say, the middle of Siberia. And if anyone lives in one of these many, many dots that just popped up, they're going to be insulated like a motherfucker. <laughs> keep yeah. Keep heat you, in, keep the cold out. You know, you uh, you gave me an idea with all this talk of... Uh, yeah, like, just get, the, keep looking away from the microphone and lean back. That's great, dude. I'm sorry. I like cartography. But no, I got a, I got an idea for you because you keep bringing up desert cultures and stuff. So you know how people always do dwarves? They always make them, you know, mountain folk. What if you did, like, some, um, instead of, like, living in uh, snowy mountains type dwarves, what if you made some, like, uh, take some inspiration from, like, the Anastasia, you know? And, like, they still work with rocks and, you know, uh, geologists and jewels and whatnot. But they live in, like, uh, cliffside dwellings. And yeah. they're, like, desert dwarves. Yeah. Free or idea. Or, if you want to get really crazy with it, yeah. you make them dwarves from South Africa, uh-huh. and they build tunnels down there, which eventually will become dungeons that explorers will go through and guess that they were, like, special time tunnels or some shit. Mm-hmm. I know you're making a reference here, but I'm not sure what it's Yeah, I'm making a reference here because I've been watching way too much creepypastas on my time off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but see, then you have to have someone who can do the South African accent. Hey, yeah, Afrikaner is actually really nice to listen to. It yeah, is. but not when they're trying to speak English. True. But there's worse out there, um, like, what is it, bird bee or whatever the fuck? Oh, God. I, I can't remember, though, what they exactly call it, but it's just like little kid speak. By adults. Oh, mm-hmm. Pidgin? Pidgin, yeah. That just... When I hear that, I just take, like, an ice pick and mentally just jam it in my forehead as hard as I can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
It really could be worse. You could be listening to someone who's Portuguese. You know what the thing yeah, is? I suppose. I, I was talking with my friend El Presidente, and just because of kind of the history of Portugal and Spain, um, I could be wrong on this, but I think like a lot of uh, linguists think... Uh, you might want to just hold your microphone and, and just constantly put it at your face. No, you're, you're staring off at the wall, dude. What's that? You're, you're staring at the wall while you're talking about Portugal. Okay. Some, some shit. All right, you know so we need to get you a, both of you a headset, Mike. All right, you know what? Hold on, hold on. Magic fix. Okay, there we go. Magic fix. Magic fix. That was magical. It was. <laughs> he, like, lifted up his shirt and pinched his nipples and his microphone moved. Oh! Uh! Oh. <laughs> anyway. Now uh, we got to get the Be Good Boy stick again. No. <laughs> But uh, what I was saying is, some linguists actually think that Portuguese might be closer to what um, Iberian language was like. Uh, what Spanish may have sounded like before it had uh, North African and I want to say. You mean Berber. when we were invaded and conquered by the Moors for nearly a thousand years? Yeah. Well, yeah. no, that didn't happen because the Moors didn't invent that kind of stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's a lit topic for another day. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah, it, it's definitely a thing of Spanish, well, what we consider Spanish is a bastard language of, like, Latin, and there's a lot of Arabic words mixed in there because of, well, thousand years of slavery. Um, but there's a lot of other stuff, too, from the um, Iberian language, which originated there. And possibly due to the way the Portuguese survived the invasions, uh, that there are definitely pockets of places where the original Iberian language is somewhat there. Because before Rome invaded and Latin became the norm, they did have their own speaking way, you know, their own language. I feel like you can't really call any one language a bastard language, because, I mean, all languages are um, just kind of... No, there, there's they're some that... Just blended together from some... I mean, you have instances... You're talking about linguistic drift. Yeah, linguistic drift, thank you. Which That's, is yeah. actually another really good thing to bring up about regions. Dialects. Dialects, exactly. Yeah. For example, dialects and accents. So, mm -hmm. let's take the example of a Washingtonian, right? A Washingtonian accent is going to be vastly different than a New York or a Boston or even Canadian accent. All of them are going to inflect their words differently. And the usage of the words is going to change. Oh yeah, I've done lost my khakis. Means two words. <laughs> Did you lose your khakis or your car keys? Exactly. It's, it, you know... Yeah, like, I, I could definitely uh, surmise that a nice-looking gal in blue jeans who says, bless her heart, all too often. Definitely, uh, yeah. Mm. That's <laughs> an accent I can go for. See? Well, Case bless in point. your heart. Carrying on. You just comb your tits now there, sugar, or I'm gonna fuck you up, and that'll teach you for fucking my rose garden. <laughs> that sounds like it came from experience. <laughs> I mean, hey, we even stepping away from an American-centric view, look at the English Isles, right? So you've got the United Kingdom and Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, uh, and England, and Lithuania. Oh yes, they're my favorite Brits. Yeah. So and and you have the Isle of Man, which apparently has its own fucking accent, but all these places have very distinct changes and then even within just the english you have uh the super posh accent of usually 
aristocracy inbred fucks. RP. And then, then you got fucking Cockney, mate. Cockney. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I've seen so many videos on trying to speak Cockney, and I still can't get it. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> it's a hard one. It, it, it boggles my mind. Cockney is a lot like Pikey, man. It's just a bunch of shit made up that's thrown together, and you're like, the fuck? <laughs> well, it, it, Cockney is basically the D&D, or the real-life equivalent to D&D Steve's Camp. Yeah. If you ever watch, like, Wait, videos... I thought that's what uh, Gypsies spoke. Thieves uh, Camp. <laughs> Uh, gypsies basically, yeah, they have their own. Their th- I think it's Pikey, but um, Cockney uh, was actually spoken to avoid police and, and getting in trouble and uh, shit amongst your own kind. It wasn't necessarily Cockney itself. It, it's the rhyming slang. Which it, is, it's the rhyming Cockney. Yeah, uh, it's not even called rhyming Cockney, as far as I'm aware. Cockney is just the accent. It's rhyming yeah. slang is what you're thinking of. But yeah, like the yeah, I've seen a bunch know. of videos on it, and it, it really is interesting. It's stuff. vastly different than what other people in the UK speak. But that's basically uh, poor man's language versus proper English. So yeah. yeah, we get in the different dialects, or we get into Germany, where we got a, a country that's the size of Texas. In, well, it's smaller in Texas. Well, it's smaller in Texas, but approximate. I'm going on approximation here. Uh, but what you speak in Munich is different than what you speak in Hamburger. Yeah. Hamburger. 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 That's where they were invented. No, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, it, it's like. You go from Stuttgart to Nuremberg, and they're basically talking two different languages, but they're both German. They just, they have so many different dialects and different ways of speaking, you know, it's, it's that accent stuff going on, too. And then you look at Poland, man, the, the northern portion to the southern portion, you're going from actually speaking Polish, where they're speaking more of that um, old Eastern European dialects from before Poland was made this size of a country. I mean, look, they're right there with Slovakia... Uh, Hungary, Ukraine, Romania, they all have completely different uh, language than someone else from the rest of Europe. You know, that's another thing we actually bring in two regions. Uh, depending on the technology level of the campaign you're running, see, one of the things that makes uh, the Polish language pretty much unanimous amongst all the, the citizens of Poland or, you know, Ukrainian amongst all citizens of the Ukraine, even though, like, there's a lot of Russian in their language, of course... Uh, and even in America, uh, you know, like, we've got so many different words for just a sub-sandwich or a hoagie or a grinder or a hero. But one of the things that you're going to need to talk about uh, amongst your group members or if you're doing a DM thing yourself or whatever is the technology level of your world. The reason why Poland has a pretty much unanimous... Unanimous? Yes, whatever that word. I don't know, man. Language. <laughs> I'm terribly bad at it. Here, I'm trying to speak it. Um... Or the reason America can exist the way it does is even though we are regionally vastly different here in the States, you know, the West Coast is vastly different than the East Coast, which is why we have rap battles between the East and West or, you know, our own culture battles, basically. Sure. Uh, But the technology level of the world is what keeps uh, a large country from devolving into a bunch of smaller countries. Like Rome was a huge, huge fucking empire for its time. And it probably would have lasted longer if they had better communication standards. Well, that if they if... went to the Mongolian standard, which was what? They could get a horse rider from one end of the uh, empire to the other in, what, like two days? Well, it wasn't so much the communication. I think it was more just that they started spreading... Too fast? Uh, no, not too fast. It was just they started spreading too thin. Well, what I'm, what so, I'm, what yeah. I'm trying to elaborate on, though, is the fighting. communication factor helps build stability amongst the unified language for a culture. So mm-hmm. when you're doing your regions, 
Uh, can the people in the North region travel safely to, say, the Southeast region to within, visit family. within, like, less than a week and be able to communicate? Yeah. You know, or will it take longer? Or is there, like, things in the way, like mountains, ranges, orc raiders, whatever, that would make it hard for them to do that? Because without that communication or the ability to safely move troops to defend your own land... Those regions are going to break down into smaller sub-regions. This is part of the reason why Germany has a lot of different dialects within its own country. You go back in the times of antiquity, and it was basically raiding bands of barbarians who had little contact with each other, so they developed their own little pocket societies. Yeah. Bar, 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 well, Basically, bar, bar, you bar. end up like the um, Native Americans, where the Sioux don't exactly speak the same as the Cherokee, and, you know, the Blackfoot are completely different from the, uh, the Diné... And then you've got the Navajo, which is a whole nother fucking bucket of worms. The Navajo or the Diné, though. No. The Diné are the what, Apache. Because Apache is the uh, Zuni word for enemy. I could have sworn that the Diné was the Navajo word. I mean, like the... No. You know what? Table that. But either way, it's a thing of... You could go like with what I'm doing in my world, where there was this great giant empire and it fell, and these countries that have sprung up afterwards, it's pretty much like Rome fell, now these new ones are coming up. And you have this infrastructure, you have waterways that were built in previous times, no one really knows how to do it anymore. You have these roads that go to places that are dead, but people use the road because other places have sprung up along them. Yeah. You know, there's all this infrastructure, and definitely being like, oh, well... You can travel by river this way because it's the only way to get there. Or, hey, I've got this, um, you know, uh, mine I found out in the mountains that's ancient. You know, there's all kinds of different aspects to bring in when with regions. Are there mainly miners here? Is there a major road system through the mountains? Is, is there a boating, you know, system to get up and down river? All these sorts of things can really round out your region into being a very colorful and vibrant society. Either of mixed species or, you know, being a super, uh, what is it, mono-ethnic? Uh, mono you know, it's like this is the elven kingdoms, this is their homeland, they protect that fuck out that, of That's pretty much, uh, yeah, mono-ethnic. That's not the word for it, I know what you're talking about though. Yeah. Ethno-nationalist. Uh, yeah, ethno-nationalist. The elven kingdom of Linkofur. Where they make the greatest elven tacos. I would go for an elven taco. That would actually be really cool. Elves and sombreros. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. you're like, you finally get there and you're like, fuck, elves taking a siesta? At least these ones don't have a Ponzi stick up their ass, but just, you know, check your wallet every five minutes. Oh, God, I want to do that idea now. Just a bunch of kind of, like, chilled out elves, you know? <laughs> chilled out elves who sleep for two hours in the afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that, that's what makes life go by. Yeah. yeah. And that'd be, you know, actually, it'd be really great is you do a elf bar gunslinger cross class. Yeah. Right? So you just level up in 10 and both. I mean, you know, the other elves just call him Los. Los. <laughs> but he comes in, you know, the biggest elf you've ever seen, walks right in like he owns the place. <laughs> Fires a shot off, plays his own theme song. Plays his own theme wait, wait. song. <laughs> At that point, does he have a gun guitar? Yeah, of course he's going to have a gun. No, he's going to call in on one of his uh, elven companions who's a sorcerer who has, like, a cello case that fires rockets. <laughs> Magic missiles. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Well, like, we were talking about what resources in a, are in a region earlier. And I had mentioned that it could be on towns. 
the local resources will also determine what businesses are there and how they trade with each other. Is it a fishing village on the coast? Is it a mining town? Is it a logging town? Like Seattle used to be before it became a shithole. Um, you know, is it a place where the um, local they refine everything? You know, is there a giant metalworks here? Because you can't really build one up in the mountains, so you got to travel all that ore down river, downhill, down the road to this place where they refine all that. Is this a big industrial town? Is there a whole bunch of potters? Uh, do they create wine? Are there vineyards scattered across the hills? You know, that's actually one of the things people often forget about when it comes to region, actually. And, of course, we're talking about, you know, the different things that build a region and the society in that, which is, of course, communication, security, travel, resources. And if we're going to get the logging, and he just mentioned, actually, a really good point. And here, since this is a logging community... A lot of people will go into a D&D game, and I've made this mistake myself, but I was trying to keep it simple, straight, stick to the point, get the players moving. Keep it simple, stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. But if you have a logging town, they're yeah. not predominantly going to work those logs there unless they have to. Typically, more times out of ten, they'll float those things downstream. Yeah. To another town that's further downstream where the land is flatter and they can actually like work the material at a lumber yard and ship it out. Is it Yeah, so it's like you've got the two parts of this this production. You've got the actual logging. Actually I guess it's three parts. Transportation of those logs and then the lumber mills that refine it. Yeah, it's a so this is thing. three different businesses, arguably. Yeah. In one region from one resource. So you got the logging town and the mill town that work in. Yeah, uh, it's tandem. kind of like the. Yeah. It's kind of like if you look back at uh, ancient stone working. Usually there was a quarry. They would haul the stones to somewhere else, and then the stones would be worked at that location and then delivered to build a palace or whatnot. They wouldn't make it on site. Hooray, production lines. Yes. Yeah, and that's that's one of the big things. I mean, you can go into looking at the Chinese culture, and there were whole towns where the whole place literally, they just, they were potters. They made giant ceramics. Oh, they sure. They made earthenware, yeah, yeah. everything. Yeah, they have and, mining towns even in modern day, and what do those mining towns do? They mine the ore, the material, or whatever, then it's sent out to another town. And then the mine wells up, and then you get a kick-ass ghost town out of the deal. Or yeah. they set the coal underneath the town on fire. Oh, well, that's uh, here uh, on the East Coast because it's brilliant. Uh, uh, what was the name of that town? Um, it's Silent a, Hill. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the real Silent Hill. Hold on. It's in oh, Pennsylvania. God. It's, uh, what is it? shit, it's the same name it, as the it, town we got here, too. It's on the tip of my tongue. That's not the only thing that's going to be on the tip of your tongue. Oh. <laughs> oh. Right. Is it closer to Pittsburgh or Philly? I, I Fuck if I know. It, it's... Silent Hill, dude. We don't need to look it Silent up. Silent Hill. Yeah. But yeah either way. Silent Hill. There, there's all these different things that go into Is it a major <gasps> trade town? Or if it's a necromancer town, it's Soylent Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, that's nice. a good thing I have nice. in the game you guys are playing in is the, the big crossroads town, although you guys have built your own city now. Uh, the big crossroads town where the Bloody Rose Inn is at, its entire thing is we're a trade hub. There's a water source here that's clean. There's a lot of farmland. People can stop here overnight, have a whore, get a good full fucking belly, and move on. People set up shops there because, oh, my wagon broke down. I need it fixed. Oh, I need an extra car. Oh, I'm going to trade some of these gems I'm... Uh, Working with? I'm hauling from one area to another here and quick trade them over. So now you've got a jeweler that pops up, a fucking wagon fixer, a lumber guy who's like, well, we need to build more buildings because we got people here. You've got the brothel. You've got the inn. 
that sometimes are the same place. You've got, you know, food refiners, you've got the hunters that go out, you've got people that farm. All of this builds up in one place, but it's not all, every town is like that. Yeah, and, like, you can, like we were talking about with the logging, you know, town A does the logging, and, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a clay mine nearby, and I bumped the table. Yes, you did. And the... what I do? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, they ship it off to two different towns. Keep going. We're at the one hour mark. Make it quick. All right. And, you know, then you've got refiners over at other locations that are doing fun things like earthenware <laughs> pots and what have you. Just another fun day at the refinery. Well, relative. Yeah, I know. So, I'm just giving you shit. Enjoy your work if you can, right? Yeah. And not everyone will, you know. Like we talked about in the last one, you and me, Gob, um, people are going to bitch about the weather. People are going to bitch about everything. It's part of human nature and just general culture. Can I say something kind of topical on that? Because uh, you said, you know, enjoy what you do or at least try to. If ever I have a day where I'm like, uh, I don't want to go to work. I just want to, you know, be lazy all day. Here's what I tell myself. You're going in for a short shift. You literally could have been born in the 1800s and gotten hired as a railroad worker. Actually, railroad workers are pretty good gig these days. Well, I mean, these days, but not in the 1800s, it weren't. Yeah, well, whatever. No. All right, we're at the <laughs> one-hour mark, guys, so we're at final thoughts. All right, I'll go first on this. So one of the biggest things I think that's important to remember when you're doing this is if you want to have a place where your players are going to be at a lot, say it's like their hub, their home, the place they return to all the time, you want to put a lot more effort into there because they will interact. Maybe they'll get the bright idea to ask questions or they might just be murder hobos. They want to know what color of fucking lizard folk they're killing this week. (laughs) But either way, if it's someplace your players are going to be a lot and over time you can just keep building up on it, keep lots of notes, lots of fucking scratch paper with shit jotted down. Oh my God, I just opened a brand new binder for these fuckers. (laughs) Uh, let's see. Um, I guess I, I can see someone like me getting really caught up in designing a whole world, you know, and making regions and coming up with all these little subcultures and uh, all, all these little what-have-yous to go with it. Um, I would say, you know, that's fine if you want to do that just for fun, but, you know, maybe save yourself some time and some effort and don't plan a whole bunch of things if you don't actually plan to use it very heavily, you know, because otherwise, you know, you, you could be de- dedicating that time maybe working towards more of a storyline or a... Uh, uh, other aspects of encounters yeah encounters stuff like that you know but if we if you want my really final thoughts my actual final thoughts going once going twice i've never been to the great lakes and seeing that map i kind of want to go visit them sometime all right that sounds unrelated i've got a song for you once we're done is it the wreck of the ellen fitzgerald yes i love that song all right i think regions can bring life into your world if you know you're even if it's just spark notes, you know, this region has this, this region has that, and they trade you with each other. Boom. You, you've got two mostly close um, environments, and it's, you know, pretty easy for their cultures to blend. Mm-hmm. Especially over time. Centralia is real life Silent Hill. Thank you, Darth Blast. See, I knew I had the same name as a town over here. It did. See? Uh, I would say for my final thoughts... Do not be afraid to, even within the same region, uh, when you're doing any kind of regional stuff in your game, to have people dress 
differently. Highborns will, of course, dress differently than lowborns in most D&D games or even post-apocalyptic games or western games or whatnot. But there's still something to be said about clothing that tells more about uh, the community the person is talking to. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if you go into a more athletically inclined community, they're going to wear different clothes than, say, a more musically inclined community. I'd like to see that in like a music-based uh, society. Well, even in a region, if you go into a certain neighborhood, people oh, can sure. dress and act differently. So even in a small microism where there's a, a region that's basically just a bunch of smaller, different regions collected together, you can have a, a wide range of diversity even amongst the denizens and citizens there, even before you get into whether or not they're an elf or a dwarf or a gnome. Sure. So do not be afraid to add little snippets of something where... Uh, what's popular and in fashion right now for the teenage community is to wear like slap-on wrist bracelets like in the 80s. Yeah. You know, just little things like that help make the world a little bit more fleshed out. Or, you know, something like uh, this, you know, this town is having a music festival and they're still, had a music festival like, I don't know, two weeks ago and there's still some people hanging around like they've got bells on on the end of their sleeves because they wanted to. Well, even then you'd have musical inspired towns if it's like oh this is where the best wood for making a violin is at this is where the uh all the brass gets refined as is well yeah so just going into that uh there's towns in england that a big portion of their trade was you because it was the best wood for making bows yeah yeah so those guys they had their own like subculture within the culture so don't be afraid to get uh basically subcultural within your regions goblin i for a second i thought you said their best product was me because you said their best product was you, and I was flattered. But now I'm sad. Yeah, you should be sad. Anyway, that's me for final thoughts. Okay. Game Goblin going back to my crypt. Darth Blasphemous signing off. Moniker feeling a little sad. Goodbye. Kazarkan, back to the skies. I want to bury my face in Uzaki-chan's milkers.